Bonus points for Fat Marlon Brando. In honor of After Earth, what's your favorite movie that is arguably a low point for the superstar that is in it? I'm Katie Rich, and War of the Worlds is a successful movie, but it came at the same time as Tom Cruise's total career implosion, so I'm choosing to remember it fondly. Hey, it's me, David the Seven. River Phoenix was in Sneakers, a spy movie that might be several people's low points that I still greatly enjoy watching. I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to go with Adam Sandler, and that's my boy, because I think he was coming off some pretty horrible PG-13 phoned-in comedies, and uh, his R-rated endeavor may have looked like it was stooping lower, but fuck it, that movie is funny. Where's David? <laughs> Gentlemen, you can't fight in here, this is the war room! Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you, it's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 60 for Tuesday, February 24th, 2015, the year of our Time Lord, Dr. Emmett Brown. Before we get started this week, Dave is not here, but Patches would like to read a review that we have from iTunes. Yes, which is, we did not screen in advance, so anything is possible right now. I just want to yeah, get here we go. Up. start reading. This is not yeah, so, so this up. review is called Don't Be Fooled, I Really Do Like David, Dave, Katie, and Matt, which sounds promoting, oh, oh, but it is a four out of five star review uh, from right. someone named Dam- Damn It Dave 2001 which I'm not sure if they created that handle just to leave this or not. Uh, so here we go. This is a fun podcast. These critics review mediums and genres far and wide. So blockbusters, small indie films, CW shows, etc. all seem to get their day in court. They seem to all be friends. It's true, which adds greatly to the conversational tone, even though they are frequently in disagreement. They can be crude, even insulting, and cut each other off, but they uh, not, this is not quite English, not lose a good natured feel or become a jumble of people talking over each other. As I listen, I feel I get to know each personality better each week, yet they call, uh, they can all surprise me, and they all have thoughtful perspectives that I appreciate. David, who is most likely to be talking, <laughs> is a, not this episode, um, is a fun snob, but perhaps should not be allowed to comment on Marvel movies anymore. Hmm. Uh, I already know that he is going to hate Son of Thor Part 2, slated for a 20. 20- 22 release date, I believe. I hope that's true. Son of Thor? Great. Uh, But the rest of them uh, will give it a chance properly. Good for us. Dave, who is most likely to sound surprised when included in the conversation, is a comic book fan and frequently (laughs) offers what I find to be the least conventional perspective. Congratulations, Dave. Yeah. He also posts his own comic nerd podcast called The Thought Bubble in the Same Space with a co-host who has a super infectious laugh. I believe that would be Joanna. Yeah. Um, and he's still not surprised sometimes when she asks him, this is the whole thing about the thought bubble. This is the th- thought hey, bubble. Isn't the it's thought always bubble about Joanna. These reviews are almost always about Joanna. I know. Secretly. Joanna is pretty The best lovely. thing we did for reviews was get Joanna on this podcast occasionally. <laughs> uh, to wrap up this review, Katie, who is most likely to be interrupted, <laughs> although they're, we, they've improved <laughs> upon this. Yes, we've been working hard Yay, not to Yay, feminism. Uh, has a host-like role. Not quite host, but host-like, keeping the conversation going, but also participates as a critic as well. Congrats. Uh, She always going to be the first to bring up a feminist point of view. (laughs) You already did it. (laughs) And and occasionally sounds surprised to be included in the conversation. But I suspect that in her case, she gets into her role as host and listens to who's talking instead of just wanting to talk. You're a good person, Katie. Much better than any of us. I'm I'm doing my job. There we go. 
uh, and Matt Patches, who is most likely to interrupt David, uh, who has probably just interrupted <laughs> someone. Uh, I find hardest to pin down as to what movies or genres I expect him to like or seek out. And for some reason, he likes the Green Lantern movie, which is in quotes, by the way, as if it does not exist. <laughs> that, that crazy Green Lantern movie. movie that he thinks he saw and he didn't. Uh, keep up the good work, all of you. You are in my ears and affecting what I think about. That's scary. But uh, thank you for the nice review. Uh, yeah, we we all learned something about ourselves. Yes. Let's, leave, let's... Us, leave us a review. We're committing to reading them now. <laughs> it really just changes what we do on this podcast each week. I realize we like have to take this comment Does and it? go forward. I'm just going to be thinking about the Green Lantern movie the whole time, personally. I'm, I'm going to be trying to Green find Lantern ways not movie. to get interrupted. Oh, shit. I don't know why I should start this. I guess I could, though. Yeah, do I mean it's it's your week, so cue it up however you want to. Hey, I'm gonna cue it up by sending this work email. Maybe you should cue it up, Katie. <laughs> well, I watched the Oscars. Uh, Dave did not. Uh, Patches, you watched the Oscars. I watched the Oscars. Yeah, survived. How long was it? Like four hours. Oh, uh, about How eight hours, I'd say. Yeah, we were. It was we about four hours, I think. Clocked in it very close. Long. I very I, I had never had so strong a feeling of oh my god these things are going on forever and i've always said that i would watch like an eight hour long oscars but last night for some reason it just really i think it started late well let's let's breach that topic no it didn't it started at the same time okay. as it always does eight thirty p.m which is for us East and lasted horrible but and it lasted till midnight just after midnight lasted forever um yeah. very long show there was a felt very there long. was apparently a sound of music something in the middle there lady was, gaga sings the sound of music song i kind of dug songs. that people were like why are we why too. are we putting ourselves through this excruciating painful horrible experience but i'm like lady gaga's an amazing singer she's being kind of normal which is its own shock and sound of music's good music when the right person's singing it and then you know um Julie, what's Julie her Andrews name? Julie Andrews. Julie yeah. Andrews. Uh, that was wonderful. Uh, it kind of woke me up from a daze because, oh my God, this show was so boring and I don't really get why. It seemed to have all these right elements to make it fun, including a lot of, you know, uh, surprises, at least in the category, like who was going to win. There was a lot of undecided stuff going on in this show. Uh, and Neil Patrick Harris, in theory, was the perfect guy to do it. He could do song and dance. He can, you know, throw out some jokes if necessary. <sighs> Nothing happened. Like, this was so boring, and I don't really get why. Yeah, there's been a lot of hand-wringing about why Neil Patrick Harris wasn't very good, because we've seen him host the Tonys and the Emmys and... He's been really good at it. Like, he has that kind of natural stage presence for it. But when you're talking about he can tell jokes if need be, the jokes were terrible. And the also, to bring really it back bad. to Green Lantern, the head writer of the ceremony was Greg Berlanti, who wrote the Green Lantern movie. <laughs> oh, Wait, oh, burn. What Green Lantern movie? Yeah, I even made fun of that on Twitter the other night. I'm like, why would you hire the guy behind, like, the Flash Arrow and the Green Lantern movie to write this show. I mean, the Green Lantern no, movie no is good. Sense. The Green Lantern movie, just to be clear, is good, but it's not because <laughs> of the script. Uh, it is no, a bad and not because of the it, jokes for sure. Right, like this is the guy who wrote Dirty Sexy Money and Everwood, and I know it has those. Both those shows have defenders, but like that is not a bouncy, satirical like play to the audience, play to the audience at home, you know, and, and the other part is that Neil Patrick Harris is not a movie star. For some reason, that may actually hurt him here, like interacting with people and just getting in on the jokes. It all felt very awkward, like all the stuff he was doing with David Oyelowo, 
I know I got that. Oh, one. that was so terrible. What is, no, what, oh, yellow. Yeah, it's horrible. right. Neil Patrick Harris said it wrong, said it wrong repeatedly. <laughs> oh, but he was doing that on purpose, right? Oh, no, wait. No, His joke he was about Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yes. At the end. He, that, that was the best part of the show, by the way. His wait, last wait, magic trick. Wait, wait, I'm just hearing trick. Oprah Uma all wait, over again. Wait, wait, wait. wait. <laughs> yes, it you was think, like that. Oh, you're saying the best part of the show was his last magic trick? That's <laughs> yes! insane. That was oh my great. God. That was great. The dying? magic trick. I was dying <laughs> no. from the lead up. I was dying from the recurring. The problem is, if you're going to do a magic trick like that, you do an hour-long magic show where you introduce something in the beginning, do a bunch of tricks, and then have and the at the end. You let everyone forget about it. The problem is, yes. three and a half hours with the recurring joke about Octavia Spencer watching that box is excruciating. Not being able to go to the bathroom. Oh, God. <laughs> Which was an unfortunate callback to her role in The Help, if you remember, because she wasn't allowed to use the bathroom because she couldn't use the bathroom inside the house because she was black. Ooh, so, I did not pick up on Oscar's that. Oscar's oh. so white, hashtag. Strange um, Yeah, politics. I thought that... I just, like, that That recurring joke didn't work. And All right, so to go back to what you were saying about him not being a movie star, I've heard that argument before, but Ellen DeGeneres did a really good job last she year. She was in movies. I, I mean, well, it, she, <laughs> okay. she's been in movies the extent to which Neil Patrick Harris. She, Neil Patrick Harris was in Gone Girl, which got an Oscar nomination. I mean, he's doing better than Ellen in that way. Right, right. I, well, it's like movie star or host usually. This is like television Broadway star. I mean, I, I feel like that part of it isn't really the most important part. It was that he didn't feel comfortable in the room and that he kept trying to. Right. Like all the overcompensation with being like Jennifer Aniston and David Oyelowo definitely deserve to be here and. The joke at the very beginning, which I actually thought was kind of nice until he kept going back to it about the Oscars honoring the best and whitest instead of best and brightest. Like, there were a couple of good nods like that, but then it kept going back to it. It was almost like apologetic for the fact that he was hosting the Oscars and the tone didn't make any sense. Yeah, it just wasn't <laughs> funny. It, I mean, the writing was not sharp. and it No, wasn't, it wasn't funny. It wasn't like whip, whip fire. You know, it's, it's not going quickly. It's not. There's no pace to the show. Every time you cut to Neil Patrick Harris... He's trudging through the audience, like looking for a gag. That whole gag about seat fillers about and, like, Steve Jesus. Carell, yeah. And I don't just know why. And the thing that it must be pace. That must be the problem. It, well, the thing that you don't remember, and I feel like they don't remember when they're writing the show, is that the best stuff always happens from people's speeches. Like Pavel Polakowski refusing to get cut off by the orchestra and continuing to talk through his speech was really electrifying and fun. And that's the kind of stuff you can't plan for. And I guess it makes them nervous because you don't know if all the speeches are going to be boring. But the speeches weren't boring this year, but they got overshadowed by this show that kept creeping up in between. And we- you realize that it's 11 p.m. and there's still seven awards left to get handed out. And you get worried everyone's going to get cut off so that you can get more of Neil Patrick Harris's magic gig. Let me ask you this. Would the show be better if it weren't trying to be so funny? Like if it was really paying tribute to the movies more? You know, I, I feel like I do get a thrill and we get this thrill watching supercuts at the end of the year. Like, here are all the movies that we have. Like, great tributes are actually quite moving. That's why people love the in memoriam section because it's the most straightforward. Like, we lost these great people here. You know, let's pay tribute to them. If the whole movie was, or the whole show was more of that and less like jokey, jokey, jokey interstitial stuff, like, what if the in between was the in between? I'm sorry. Uh, was was just these little mini tribute segments instead of jokey, jokey, jokey. Like have someone who's a great figure in Hollywood who could be that earnest. I mean, if Tom George Hanks Blaney. hosted the Oscars Always. and was oh my like, God. you know, uh, let me tell you about the craft and like let me tell you about why the Oscars, why movie history is important. I, I the my big problem, my beef with this 
ceremony was, and I wrote about this on Esquire a little bit, was that it, it's just so damn cynical. Like, including mm. all the, like, pointing out the race stuff. When you do that against, you know, people giving socially conscious speeches, that doesn't jive. Or, you know, Jack Black coming up and interfering with the song and doing this whole thing about superhero movies and, you know, Chinese funding and how it's ruining Hollywood. What? It's kind of what? funny. What happens? Surprise. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, you didn't, oh, yeah. Dave has not seen the show. Say. <laughs> there was a Dave. lot of complaining about superhero movies, which was hilarious because and, half the people in that room are in superhero movies. Well, and, and that all builds up to Birdman winning the award, right? By giving yeah. Birdman Best Picture. And we talked about this a little on our Oscar Predictions podcast. For me, the Best Picture award goes to the movie that we want to like solidify and say this is 2014 of movies this is the best picture of the year whether it's technical or you know that's why you can have a best director not be the same as the best picture like this is the one that's going to represent us and hollywood the voters of the academy decide birdman the movie that's anti-superhero movie everything that's wrong with hollywood we're going to stand by that and it feels like such a pansy mood i don't know if i'm allowed to say that is that pc pansy? i don't care pansy yeah. pansy move you know just like <laughs> I, 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 this is why we get the iTunes explicit tag. Yeah, I guess yeah. so. But, uh, you know, they're, they're backing a movie that defies everything they're all about. But they're not going to walk out and change it. They're not going to make the next Birdman or the next Boyhood. A studio is going to go make more superhero movies. Yeah, because they're the only that's, thing that makes money. Right. And that's bullshit. Like, own it. Own the fact that you do superhero mo- movies and make them good enough to get them Oscars, you know? Stop bullshitting around. And Birdman is a bullshit win and a bullshit vote into the pantheon of Best Picture winners because it's it's cheap. It thinks it's being risky and rebellious when there's no way they're going to walk out the door the next day and be that rebellious in real life. I'm going to saw- take Patches' outrage and further it <laughs> to the category where a superhero movie did win, which was Best Animated Picture, which is absolutely ridiculous because I cannot imagine that being better animated than any of the categories. But I get pissed about that every year. I just wanted to step in right there, Patches. <laughs> Patches, uh, I'm going to yeah, a line that I read from somebody else on Twitter, Killed my which is saying that Birdman is about a guy who is wishing he could make something as daring as boyhood. Mm. Like it's all it's all about that fear of artistic failure and wanting to make something sui generis and, and totally doesn't. your own, which is what boyhood is. Right. I mean, not I that like yeah. I'm not like some crazy stumper for boyhood. Like I don't think it's some insane tragedy that boyhood didn't get to win best picture. Like the fact that it was nominated at all seems like kind of an insane miracle. But yeah, it's like Birdman is so hollow compared to what Birdman for what boyhood was able right. to accomplish. It's just and not so much inspiring. about that desire for accomplishment. Like, it, the Birdman is not an inspiring movie. Boyhood, even if you think it has faults, is like an achievement on some level. The outside meta story and what's inside, you know, like, go. I, I can't wait to watch Boyhood in a year or two removed from this conversation and just enjoy it again as this incredibly well-written tracking through 12 years of life again. Like, that is such an achievement. Um, and it's inspiring. And I wish that the... The Oscars could be that inspiring about movies, about a topic that I love. Like, I want to go see a tribute to the writers and a tribute to the DPs and a tribute to the production designers. All the all the below the pine people are always giving the best speeches. And I was so happy to see Grand Budapest win a bunch of Oscars, including Alexander Desplat, my boy. Yes. What up? Um, you know, I, that stuff really gets the heart pumping. You see people putting blood, sweat and tears into movies and then being rewarded for it. That's what it's all about. Somehow, as soon as you rise above the line, it all gets so cynical, and it's all about like jerking each other off and 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 pretending like 
Hollywood can defy what they're all about when they shouldn't be defying it. They don't have to hate superhero movies and they don't have to hate art. It's the same thing. They both can be the same thing if they really try and they don't. They they vote for Bur- and we're Birdman. Not, we're not very far removed from the year where they added 10 Best Picture nominees because a superhero movie didn't get nominated. Like, they want superhero movies to get acknowledged. It's just such like a weird, cheap, terrified joke of being like, hey guys, we're making all these movies to make all the money. And they are half of them have CGI characters. That's hilarious, right? It's it, it was really kind of it's like burying your teeth in front of the enemy Ugh. and smiling because you're terrified of it. It sounds like we could solve this problem by just making the Academy of Motion Picture and Sciences like Logan's Run and just set off some palm hands right now. And, <laughs> you know, and just we'll, make it only for people under thirty. We'll but perch. I don't know if that's, we'll have a great time. Is that group really going to do anything? Like. I can't believe this is a generational gap problem. uh, Patches, imagine if the the Oscar ceremonies was Vimeo staff picks. Like, that'd be fantastic. Like, here's a breakdown. No, but you're you're forgetting something. Let me throw David under the bus for a second when he's not here and say that if (laughs) David was... He he could easily get a job at Vimeo Staff Picks, and he would destroy the movies we're talking about right now, even though he hates Birdman, apparently. Uh, You know, there's... Age is not a factor here. Uh, it's about being in the industry and about being able to pull away from the industry. It's about the bubble, uh, and and that's and in some ways the Oscars, the Oscars are a celebration of the bubble. <sighs> yeah, like, they the Oscars are, are about but... like you know anytime you look back at history, it's like all the times that Hollywood set, solved racism. Like that's always going to be part of the Oscars, and that's kind of like what appeals to me about it. But it doesn't have to be about like. They make too big a deal about the social consciousness. Like, while I love people's speeches, you know, everyone getting up there and being like, this is for Alzheimer people, and this is for, uh, you know, the LGBT community, and this is for them, and this is for that. I'm like, these movies are already doing that. Like, stop giving these speech and, like, talk about why making this movie was amazing or, like, why the artistic strength of these stories. It's not about that, like, 12 Years a Slave or something solved racism. It's about... It's stirring up a conversation, an amazing performance, an amazing direction was able to produce this reaction. It didn't solve anything. It, sh- it, can, it seems like you can champion that kind of stuff, escape the bubble, and not be about industry and not be about your own pursuits. Being about this like connection between the bubble and the rest of the world. It can be so much better. Listener reviewer, it's time for Dave to be part of a conversation. Yay! Occasionally, we here at Fighting in the War Room cover things besides movies and TVs and CW shows. Occasionally, we talk about books that we're reading. You might have noticed a few weeks ago, I talked about a book I was reading about theme parks, which has sort of motivated me to ask my other two co-hosts in this week's mini-segment about something they are reading or something they have recently read that is notable for some reason. I don't, it doesn't have to be best or good. Uh, as it might not be with Miss Katie Rich. Well, I'm reading Outlander. I downloaded it on my Kindle at some point last fall Whoa. when the show first premiered and started taking off. And, uh, you know, figured like it was something that would be fun for me to read while on vacation. And then I put it down for a while and picked it back up. And, you know, the Kindle tells you how what percentage of the book you're through. And at some point recently, I realized I was only 25% of the way through <laughs> it. And I don't know if I'm going to finish. Wow. I kind of like hit... I mean, it's like historical fiction has never really been my big thing. And the plot is moving so incredibly slow at this point that 
and also like you know from having been in popular culture i kind of sort of know what direction it's headed which normally i don't care much about spoilers but in this case it's kind of made me less interested in seeing where it's going because it's a story i don't find that interesting to begin with i don't know i always have a hard time with gauging like the sunk cost fallacy in books and at what point it's worth just turning back so i don't know i haven't decided if i'm going to finish this one I had to read Outlander in high school. What? Because not as part of my <laughs> curriculum, but my girlfriend in high school only <laughs> read historical romantic fiction. Wow. And, she's and like, you had you... to read the same book. Yeah, she she's did? like, Will you please finally read something that I care about? And I'm like, Yes. Uh, and I read Outlander. And I thought it was lovely. It was a lot better. It wasn't all like throbbing rods. No, and, and it's very and much steamy it's ha- scenes. It's, it's been not almost, erotica. It's been almost none of that so far. Um, which many, many historical romantic books that I indulged upon. Indulge is the wrong word. That I was forced to indulge upon <laughs> <laughs> as we read books together. Uh, you know, a lot of that can be throbbing rods. And I can't wait to say that phrase over and over again. Throbbing rods. Throbbing like rods. Sl- but over, oh yeah, uh, uh, Outlander, not not so many throbbing rods. But some bulky men who seem hot, like a lo- as a straight man, I can still yeah. analyze that and be like, this is very good descriptive writing of like what, you know, rugged men wearing kilts is like. But it's not really like you're supposed to find them handsome. It's just kind of about like how everyone was smelly and there was no modern medicine. And I don't know, like, I, basically, at this point, I haven't figured out what's going to happen since all the main character wants to do is get back to her happens. time. There's yeah, like eight books. Yeah, and all the character's trying to do is get back to her time, and I know that's not going to happen because that's not what the book is about. So, oh yeah, we didn't really mention there's time travel involved. Yeah, she time travels back to uh, eighteen uh, seventeen hundred Scotland. And <laughs> but from know, a period setting already, isn't she in? Like... Yeah, she's from the forties, which is right. kind of cool. <laughs> it's kind of interesting to see someone time traveling from one place in the past to another, but. I don't know. Not enough to keep me interested. I uh, I might move on. Boom. Mm, Outlander. Patches? Um, well, I'm, I'm kind of sad because I haven't been reading a lot of books lately. I've been kind of more obsessed with reading magazine pieces, maybe because I started a new job at a magazine and I'm trying to, like, read lots of different <laughs> yeah, in magazine writing. Um, and, I'm, and I've been kind of obsessed with Pocket, the app that you can like put into Chrome or Safari, I guess, and Firefox and, you know, download articles to your phone or your browser. So I'm kind of been obsessed with that. But the book I did want to mention, and it feels like a cheat, I guess. It's not really. It's Scott McCloud's The Sculptor, um, which is this (laughs) 496 page graphic novel. Yes, it Um, is. And it is. So it is, is, is a giant thing. And I'm back and forth on it because what's really interesting, Scott McCloud is this uh, cartoonist, illustrator, writer um, who's written a bunch of books about making comics. But I don't think he's really had too many books. I don't think he's – this is his first graphic novel is my understanding. Um, So I think he kind of wanted to challenge himself to be like, well, if I'm going to write understanding comics or making comics – or I believe he wrote Reinventing Comics, then maybe I should write a goddamn comic book. Um, so he did. And it is a mixed bag because it's beautiful. Like he draws kind of bubbly figures. Um, he uses blue and white, which I always thought was very interesting. And it's beautiful. And his style is amazing. It takes place in New York. It's about this failed sculptor who is trying to, he wants to be remembered. He That's what art is all about. Like, making a stamp in the art world and like being remembered and making something that people care about. 
Um, and he can't. He just is a failure. And he eventually negotiates with death himself to, like, be a great artist or have the power to be a great artist. He literally has a power where he can manipulate any hard object into i mean he can just manipulate it so he can take a, a metal beam and turn it into a sculpture uh but he only has 30 days to live or something <laughs> that's <laughs> well, the problem with negotiating with death he's gonna die but he's the super emoist like asshole he is he is every he is a zach braff character times 10 he is an awful human being by design, because I mean, his ambition is to just please people with his the art. Sires, there's there's something trains, kind of misdirected about that. Um, but he falls for this woman, um, who Scott McCloud has said in interviews uh, that is like his wife. Um, that reminds me of him of his wife is based on her. But she's very much the manic pixie dream girl, and many people have confronted him about this. And he's like, you know what? That's just how she is. That's how she was in my life. And I wanted to put write something inspiring, a, a person who was amused to me. Uh, and he wrote that into this book. Um, and because of that, I think that the story is a bit of a failure. It really has nothing to say. I don't know if McLeod is a great writer. Uh, he's certainly a great artist uh, and great cartoonist. And it is a beautiful book to look at. It really just goes nowhere. And at 496 pages, it can be kind of excruciating to hang out with someone who is so miserable and who keeps making horrible choices. I mean, horrible things happen to this character and screw him up. But goddamn, like, fix your life. Uh, but he's stuck in it. He can't. And that's that's the book. It's tough. Thanks. That, yeah. that does not sound like a good alternative to Outlander. No, but I think, I mean, it's high praise. That's what I don't get. I haven't read a lot of reviews of it, and I'm curious what people think. I mean, if you are into comics, I might recommend it. It's it's only in hardcover right now, which means it's probably a pricey book. Oh, yes, I'm on it Amazon. Is very it expensive. is $23 to buy this book. Uh, and you can apparently get it on Kindle. Who knew? Oh. Um, for 15 bucks. But I I don't know. It's, it's, it's a pretty tough book. But because it's McLeod and because it's his first gigantic, you know, literary graphic novel, it's, it's worth talking about. I just can't find people to talk about it with because his disciples are the only ones reviewing it, it seems, and they all love it. And it's a little more complicated than that. How much did you say it was on Amazon? It's $23 hardcover and 15 bucks on Kindle. Oh, man. I almost got ripped off at my local bookstore. <laughs> when I almost bought local. So what are you going to do? How dare uh, you? I know. It's, it's difficult. Uh, I guess I won't go into too much into graphic novels because uh, Patches went there. But oh, rattle some off because I obviously need alternatives to the sculptor. Well, I mean, I'm still building to my gigantic Secret Wars reading list, which has brought me back to uh, the 2010 Jonathan Hickman run on Fantastic Four, which is really crazy and expands the family and maybe starts destroying the universe. But more on that at some point on this podcast feed. So I'll talk about the other thing that I'm obsessed with, uh, Star Wars. Uh, the interesting thing is since they deleted the old expanded universe, uh, they've started releasing new novels about one about every three months pretty consistently. Our third one comes out March 3rd. It is called Heir to the Jedi. Are you about and to spoil Star Wars for Patches? No, none of them are taking place in time <laughs> I keep asking yet. Dave if I'm allowed to read Star Wars books or comic books, and they seem all kosher right now. Yeah, a lot of them are filling in uh, time periods but that are not spoilerish. So this new uh, book that comes out is actually Luke is the point of view character and it takes place between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, which is also where the comic books are. So really interesting time for Luke. He's learning, you know, 
about Darth Vader and the rebellion and how to use a lightsaber and stuff like that. Looking forward to it. Uh, the previous novel, Tarkin, was good for people who love Star Wars facts, was a little dry. And the novel before that, A New Dawn, was our first peek at a post-Return of the Jedi world, but ultimately had very little to do with anything recognizable in Star Wars. So that was more for like the expanded un- old expanded universe purists to say, like, we still know that you're out there. And I also introduced some characters from Rebels, but, like, not in a significant enough way that I would recommend that for anybody that even likes Rebels. So it's interesting because it's, like, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been part of, like, a serialized uh, book club or something, but I'm sort of, like, at a molasses-paced Star Wars repopulating of the universe, and every three months we get a little new droplet. And it's been really fun. And uh, a lot of the old Expanded Universe novelists are coming back and doing stuff in the new canon. Who? Um, uh, who is it? Kevin Hearn is on the Heir to the Jedi. He was done, did previous novels that I could look up if I were on this. But uh, the guy who did Tarkin was the guy that wrote Darth Plagueis and Darth Vader, Rise of a Sith. So, uh, yeah, these guys are getting to come back, just not revisiting the same territory. They're under the purview of uh, Lucasfilm Story Group now. Anyway, it's fun. It's fun to read a new book every three months with a whole bunch of geeky people that are, like, trolling for extreme details like me, I think. And maybe you can, too, listener. So tonight, on the day that we release this, Parks and Recreation Season 6 comes to a close, which of course brings the entire series to a close. Parks and Recreation being the Amy Poehler show that started sort of as an office ripoff. and spin-off, instead not ripoff. <laughs> no, it wasn't officially a spinoff. I think, well, it, it, I, I think it, it, it started as it one. It literally began life as a spinoff and then I think stopped. it was going to be like the IT people or was that the it crowd were they gonna somehow make that and there was an american spin-off? pilot for the it no i know that but i out. i think there was gonna be an office pilot about no, it 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 people it was gonna be about rashida jones's character to some degree oh anyway. like her actual character from the office i think so anyway this is oh. a tangent but it slowly became a show about the civics of a small town and all the characters that populated the parks and recreation office and now we're in the future, but I'm sure I don't have to like explain Parks and Recreation and the majority of people subscribe to the show. It's more that, uh, for me, as somebody who's followed uh, the career of Greg Daniels, one of the producers, uh, sort of since he was doing King of the Hill, uh, this season, especially this final season, the way it's handling uh, goodbyes, but also not letting the characters necessarily stagnate, and it took a jump into the future, uh, has been the sort of perfect balance between a sitcom that where all of the comedy is originating from the characters so much that like um, if a sitcom is supposed to give you like somewhat of a familiar feeling inside because as a familiar structure and it's brief and it's there to entertain you uh, the idea that you're like never going to be threatened by anything that you're presented with can be not challenging uh or threatening and somehow they found a way to have 
excellent ideas that are non-threatening because we love these characters so much. Primary this season basically like told menists they were idiots their face and it was great because it was just raw and unexpected and it felt like it came from a safe place because it came from Leslie Nope, spokesperson of uh, good civic things. You don't and, think uh, that feminists. there were actual men's rights activists who were mad about that? Oh, I'm sure there were, but in no like a world, a news world where we're giving like fair and balanced opinions to everything, it was nice to sort of see like a bullshit cutting opinion. And I think that Parks and Rec throughout its run has managed to say stuff like that about government and friendship, uh, all with like sort of these natural evolutions of where we want to see the characters go. And I mean, I think they did that with uh, King of the Hill and The Office to a lesser extent, The Office, because I think The Office sort of hit its stride uh, when Jim and Pam were not together and or, and or having problems. Do you feel like The Office had similar themes to Parks and Recreation? Um, I think that the thing that ties all these things together is that you sort of make your own like weird family of people. And I know mm-hmm. that's what supposedly ties a lot of sitcoms together, but that's what really ties Greg Daniels sitcoms together to the yeah. point where after a few seasons, there's no doubt that these characters will get into ridiculous situations for each other. And so you can, uh, you know, throw away a lot of the hoops other shows have to jump for through suspension of disbelief and whatnot. Although I guess, like, for The Office, The Office had to change gears so many times because it lost Steve Carell. Like, I would imagine that Parks and Rec has not faced that challenge. Uh, Although I gave up on the show, I should say. Um, I did not make it past Entertainment 720 whenever that season was. I'm when very was curious like about... Three years ago or something? something four years like ago, that. maybe? Oh, my God. I'm curious about why that was your breaking point. It just felt like a shift in the show to try and keep, like, wringing the, the sponge a little too hard for some reason. Like, the characters, um, you know, ha- having uh, Tom... Well, Tom was really just getting on my nerves. <laughs> and and the whole Entertainment 720 thing was just an excruciating bore whenever it went there. And then I felt like Tom kind of disappeared. Like, I didn't really... Tom didn't seem important anymore. And, like, the click of The Office... Or, I'm sorry, I shouldn't say The Office in this context. The click of the Parks and Rec office, uh, it just kind of dissipated a little bit. And then when April and Andy got together... Then it started slipping a little bit, and as many shows do, I think Jim and Pam getting together on The Office is when things started to go awry, uh, even before Steve Carell left that show. But something something was lost with April and Andy getting together, um, but not that didn't derail me. It was something about Entertainment 720, and maybe when Leslie got together with Ben and... Did they get married by then? I don't even yeah, know. You know, some, so, I'll tell you the show, episodes I have not seen. I didn't get to see Rob Lowe leave the show. I didn't get to see Rashida Lo- Jones leave the show. Same and I episode. did not see Billy Eichner leave the show. So I guess actually now Billy that Eichner, people have left the show. Wait, you didn't see Billy Eichner start the join show. Join the show. I'm sorry. Join yeah. the show. Um, you know, and Billy Eichner is still only on like every four or five episodes. Yeah. Right, right, right. Didn't you just say that? Like, I just realized the I had contradict. so much retooling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, to- I'm totally wrong because I actually missed all that. So I got to see, like, with The Office, like, I hung in there enough to see Corell leave and that kind of stuff. So I didn't really witness the retooling 
Maybe it's because Amy Poehler didn't leave, that she's stuck with Parks and Rec, that it seems it's her story. Like, it's going to be her arc in the end, and that's what the show is about. Her getting from point A to point B and figuring out who she is and what her place is in the world, uh, as opposed to The Office, which seemed to switch perspectives. Like, whose show is this? Now Andy's in charge, but Jim and Pam are so important. Like, The Office is just all over the place, but maybe, you know, the world does revolve around Leslie Nope a little more I mean, that's Parks and Rec. The, one of the things I like about the new season is that they seem to, they gave Leslie something to do for like the first half, but she's sort of taken a supporting role for all of us to get to say goodbye to these characters. And it's going to be interesting to me, Patches, when you do catch up. And no pressure, by all means. I'm sure I you want have to. Things I, to do. Well, we spurred this conversation because I tweeted uh, two days ago, I suppose now, uh, that uh, I wanted to get back into the show because I was reading about the, the jump into the future that sounded interesting, mostly because of all the crazy pop culture references, but that it could maybe also twisted the show back into something springy and fun again. Uh, it's, I feel like that's happened intermittently, and that's been a little bit of my problem with the last season. Like, I thought they started off the season and they had Leslie and Ron kind of in this big feud that they resolved with a bottle episode that I thought was really great, like one of the best episodes they've done. And then it's kind of felt a little bit like wheel spinning. Like even, you know, they have, what, eight or nine episodes to wrap up the entire series, but it kind of felt like they only needed about three because they're really just finalizing the chapters. And I feel like one of the things that the show has struggled with over the years in general is just having things for people to do. Like it's kind of gone back around in circles trying to find something that, for like April wants to find a purpose in her life. And Andy's trying to find a different job. And, I mean, it, see, that's the problem. All these characters shouldn't have <coughs> goals, right? Shouldn't have what? Not every character needs an arc or a goal, right? Well, if you're going to have a show on for that long, you need something to have the show be that's about. That's the problem. That I mean, and that's where I like, and I really like Park and Recreation, and I've watched every episode, and because I like these characters and I want to see what they're up to, and I think it has stayed consistently funny, which is something The Office had a hard time with. But I do think the idea of having an arc going on this long on a show that, like Dave was saying, is about people who fundamentally like each other, there's not going to be that kind of huge conflict is a really hard thing to pull off. Yeah, I mean, Parks and Rec did do some good season-long conflicts that managed to, you know, wring a lot of the good episodes out of what would could have been treated like, you know, in the West Wing is something you know, absolutely dire. That's a weird comparison to make, but it seems apt. Um, And so it's been interesting to see this last season take so much time uh, where it's just conflictless episodes. Like the entire, they just did an episode that was Andy's public access TV show. The entire episode was like in character as the public access TV show. And it was weird because I didn't start getting annoyed with it until like after the second act break. And I'm like, oh, no, it is just going to be this. And by that point, they'd started bringing all the characters back together to uh, so like I didn't have to deal with a solo Andy beyond what I was able to tolerate. It just shows like a certain degree of like measured, uh, I don't know, character based storytelling. It's, it's a, interesting to have a finale season like this that does take this many episodes just to say goodbye to the characters. And usually I dislike it. Like, mm-hmm. I mean the seventh season of Star Trek, the next generation is not not good. Things like that. Or yeah. like, I'm usually on that side. So it's been really interesting to me. And I really think as someone who was like even a fan of King of the Hill as it went all the way and burned out to the end, that it is the idea of having these like characters that just endlessly bounce off each other and spending enough time hammering them into new forms in naturalistic ways right. that we believe they're evolving. 
So ending a sitcom is so much harder than ending a drama because dramas are afforded the luxury of being like, I'm going to end the network is going to end you. (laughs) You know, it always seems like with Mad Men, it's like, oh, Matthew Weiner, we're going to give you, you know, the time you need to end this show properly. That's a relatively new new phenomenon, though, like Lost getting its end date was a big deal. Right. right, but the, but the problem is also don't matter. It's like if it's bad, you're just going to cancel it. Well, the problem know? is that sitcoms over the years have become more serialized, not not yes. strictly like dramas. But this is not I Love Lucy's finale. This is not their final season. The hijinks don't just end. You have to like elegantly say goodbye to all these people, which becomes a problem when they're not regarded like dramas. Right, um, like the two and a half men finale, apparently. Oh, I yeah. should have let, tuned that into that. Because you that really was my, should have. That was you, my show for, you know, two years. <laughs> yeah, you were the person <laughs> oh, I knew who watched Two and a Half Men. Like, did you I hear was, about the finale? I heard a little bit about it. Did Wait, did Charlie Sheen come back? No. no. Oh, But it was all about double. him. Yes, I had heard something like that. I really have been trying to distance myself from that time in my life. It was very <laughs> tragic. It was very difficult. You've gone into um, rehab for your Two and a Half Men years? I have. Uh, I, I should say, just speaking to what we were saying about, you know, sitcoms kind of evolving into dramas i mean i think i ultimately treasure parks and rec more than something like the office or many other sitcoms that come to mind even like arrested development or something like that kind of a pinnacle of the modern age um because there were moments where i just got like teary mm-hmm. or there were moments yeah. where like it was real friendship like the acting was really substantial and like amy poehler it's a like, tremendous performance and nick offerman too like who's become kind of a meme which is disappointing but like he's so good as ron swanson and i was not a real aubrey plaza fan when uh the beginning of this show started i really hated her character and the beginning of the show in general <laughs> i did not enjoy uh as many people but it especially took time to warm up to her and you know i kind of enjoy i, I very much enjoyed her and like getting to meet jerry and donna and like i love retta uh i don't know why i gave up on this show something happened <laughs> I, sh- I guess i should get back into maybe it. you should jump back into it Did you just well, hate jean ralphio no i like jean ralphio it's when they became it's this problem with these shows going on too long. I Does mean, it help if I it? tell you that the Entertainment 720 thing doesn't last that long? No, I know it doesn't. Like, <laughs> I, I knew that. I knew it was going downhill, and that was the whole point it was going to make. Because at some point, um, Ben steps in to, like, manage them and is basically, like, shut it down. Uh, but it you made matter. it to that episode and still <laughs> think were, like, so. too much to sever I, I know. I just couldn't do it. Something was so grating. Maybe people were spinning wheels. Like, you can just feel the show. I know the episode that you left off on where Leslie's trying to hold a fundraiser and Tom takes it over to try to save the club. God. That's maybe. a tough or is episode. It the is that they the one where the they skate? The party? Is, when did they skate out onto the rink? I may oh, have also well, caught oh. up. The moment they skate out of the ring, that's a great scene. That one I know, that was amazing. is one of the best no, things No, that's amazing. Done. I feel like maybe I had quit before then and then watched one episode to be like, is this show good? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What happened to me? Man, There's you a, really just let an, your faith in yeah. comedy die. I know. There's uh, an Entertainment 720 episode where they both end up in the back of like a hot tub limo. And at yeah. that point, I was also like, okay, enough at Entertainment 720. But that is the last themed episode. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think about the way that I felt about Thirty Rock, where like I kind of stopped watching it for a while because it felt like it was spinning its wheels and kind of going. Like I kept, I tuned in and was like, "Oh, Kristen Shaw is on this. This is weird." And then I tuned in for the final season, which I thought really ended on a high note. And Thirty Rock was a lot easier to kind of dip in and out of. Like when I watch reruns, I kind of come back and forth. But I think even if you give up on a show, like giving it a chance to kind of get out of that arc, and Parks and Recreation was always pretty good at like getting into an arc, recognizing it's not working, and going somewhere else. 
mm-hmm. which yeah. is which is something that you're afforded when, like Dave was saying, you're setting inside this world of a town. You got a lot of different characters you can play with. You can bring back Purd happily for an arc or something like that. Purd. That's who needs a spinoff of God. Of we're gonna Purd happily miss show Purd and Joan Calamazzo and just an entire it should uh, show it set inside that TV station. Oh my God, that would be amazing. That would actually be great. It'll be the Studio Sixty we never had. Uh, I guess we kind of had Studio Sixty, but so so Parks sure and Rec's legacy is it? I mean, is is this one of the great sitcoms? Are we? Are we can we champion in this in that way? I mean, I don't know. Well, I mean, right now on the eve of its series finale, yes, of course. Yeah. All of you fans, this is the greatest <laughs> thing ever. I mean, it's going to be hard. First of all, you have to nail a finale. You can't yeah. sign. You can't Seinfeld it out or that '70s show out and kind of go and nobody cares. So well, it's not like Seinfeld is not remembered as a great show because of its finale, though. No, but it took a while to sort of not stumble out of people's mouths how much how good Seinfeld was in retrospect. That's fair. Same with, well, I mean, I was also what, in high like a freshman in high school, so I'm sure it was the most important thing that Seinfeld finally was bad. So maybe I'm I were overblowing it a little bit. I but, was a, I, we were in eighth grade. I remember it really clearly. I think that uh a lot of uh, the Amy Poehler sort of rising starness that she's managed to turn sort of her TV show into oh, her own personal fl- franchise slowly um, outside of like UCB, which was already her franchise that might end up making this show more notable in uh, entertainment history than it is just by being a good show. But yeah, that's because I hope next. Greg Daniels does. She's going to do else. her Fox catcher now. <laughs> I hope. No, actually I don't want that. Well, she's doing, she's She'll doing produce. The... she's, she is the reason we have broad city. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Right. And she's on. She has the Tina Fey co-starring movie coming out this year, right? Oh yeah, where they play, where they play sisters. sisters. Yeah, forgot I about think that. she'll end up creating more television and probably being in more television. But you know, I, I, I guess Tina Fey has, after Thirty Rock, become a movie star. She's doing a movie now uh, about Iraq. It's based on some book, and she's mm-hmm. also producing this show for Ellie Kemper that's about to premiere on Netflix, The oh, Unbreakable yeah. Kimmy Schmidt, which I've seen two episodes of and it's almost exactly like 30 rock but more new york and weirder <laughs> that appeals um, to me immensely yeah you if you enjoy 30 rock and it's lunacy uh kimmy schmidt is is more of that it's a do you know what it's about yeah she comes she's this. been living in a cult yeah <laughs> it is very very strange and very new york i was I don't know if this movie or this TV show will play to many people, but I mean, that's part of the reason also I liked Parks and Rec. It just felt like everywhere. I don't know. It didn't feel so specific. And yet, I guess the characters feel really specific, not the place. Well, it just felt like a small town that like worked out, but because it managed to flesh out all these like actual small town people and actual small town jobs because of the nature of its subject matter. It really, you know, right. like populated like Springfield. It did not feel like the office was locked up in the office. Like mm-hmm. you didn't really yes. know Scranton. They didn't turn Scranton into a real place. It was just a background scenery. But my favorite scenes in Parks and Rec are when they're at town meetings. Those oh, are the best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that is the best thing. Oh, I guess I watched the episode with uh uh Pat Oswalt where he he oh, did yeah. his uh, filibuster. That's a good. That's a good that was good, pretty wonderful. One. So I've caught up. I've caught up on some episodes between giving up and now. But uh, uh, well, this has been our Matt Patch's intervention to try to get him to watch <laughs> Parks and Recreation before. I'll <laughs> come back. I'm gonna watch this season. <laughs> good. Well, you have a 
I mean, as people are listening to this, it's too late. So, <laughs> oh no, yes. I'm gonna get spoiled. No, there's probably nothing to spoil. What are they gonna do? What's gonna happen? Predictions. Uh, Ann and Chris come back for one more episode. It better not be really racist, or I'm gonna have to re-edit this podcast. Is this? Uh, <laughs> wait, is it? Is that definitely happening? They're gonna be back for. I feel more? like that was confirmed. Did they get together? Yeah. Is that what happened? I really don't know. That's, I, I won't guess tell it. you. Okay, good, good, good. Sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think those two were... I think that that's what happened. Man, they're gossip, gonna come back? gossip around Parks and Rec casting was like in and out for a few a few weeks. But I think oh, they, for I the think, finale? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I'm hoping for a Joe Biden cameo. Ooh. You think they're going to do big politicians? They've already done some big politicians. Maybe Obama. Season, Maybe they'll get yeah. Obama. Oh, oh they, they already had Michelle Obama. Right. Got to go get full Obama on get the last the, episode. Get the full Obama bingo card. Maybe they'll get Malia. Wow. Well, <laughs> the real question is, who do they want to say is president, right, in that year? Oh, would, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, because it said in 2017. Oh, that'll yeah. be funny. Where uh, Shailene Woodley and Morgan Freeman are in a huge Maybe they feud. can do a Veep crossover. Oh, my God. Beyonce. Would president. That, would that make brains melt they wouldn't do that in a final episode right i don't know i don't know all right everybody uh tell us how wrong our parks and recreation predictions are as you're listening to this after the oh yeah that's right this is a podcast damn (laughs) (laughs) just talking to people parks and rec will miss you greg daniels do something else yay yay leslie nope Yeah, some days I feel unfazed Like when I'm with my friends with a cut raise hey. And on Monday, I got a gun raise Suicide, I'll do a die until hump day Then I go right back at it Okay, that does it for today's Fighting in the War Room We'll be back in a post-Parks and Recreation world We'll talk about something else later this week In the meantime, tell the people who you are I'm Matt Patches, and I'm the senior writer at Esquire.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And you can find us on FightingInTheWarRoom.com, where we post all the episodes, and you can leave comments, questions, anything you want. Uh, that's FightingInTheWarRoom.com. I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm at Latino-Review.com, Forbes.com, and soon to be another .com. Surprise, everybody! I'll tell you later. Um, I'm going to do this next part in imitation of David Ehrlich. Have you heard about this thing called Facebook? Facebook. Fighting in the war room. We're all together there doing things at facebook.com slash fighting in the war room. That's pretty good. Thank you. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at vanityfair.com or at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H on Twitter. Twitter's also where you can find all of us at F-I-T. WR, where you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of After Earth, and maybe a related movie that's coming out this weekend, what's your favorite movie that is arguably a low point for the superstar that is in? Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you on Friday. I'm going again back to the mansion, and yes, I'm home again, rocking and handing, and yes, you know the name, Young English, Black Paisley, I was too thick, who they be, who they be, who they be, who they be, well, they be us, poor English, screwed up semantics, I ain't talking real shit, speak my language, celebrate the bloodshed, so I'll the tenants here, I'll be on some other shit, so go and tell the other kids, 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 tell them other kids, whatever you like, it's freestyle, fry. Day, March 19th, whatever. I don't really is that the right date? Who would do but I would do but even if the rap songs, rap music, we do what we want. Do but I would do but even I would do but the fronts. Yeah. Now look, I just checked my, uh, checked the weather on my phone, on my telephone, my cellular telephone. It's supposed to get up to 71 degrees today. 
It's supposed to get up to 71 degrees.